Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, crazy, and possibly crazy also martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, of course, we're going to begin by talking about last night's vice presidential debate in Utah. Uh, by most honest accounts, Mike Pence was declared the winner last night. Uh, that was certainly your lead in the morning jolt this morning. The question now is, does even a decisive victory in a vice presidential debate actually mean anything for the larger picture of the race? Most years it doesn't. But as we said yesterday, that might actually matter more this year, given the fact that uh, Trump's had a health issue. There are obviously questions about Biden's uh, longevity here and so forth. So so we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's talk about some of the stronger moments first here of uh, Mike Pence's night. First of all, a couple of clips here when he really uh, went after Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on their inability to take a position on court packing. Are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Now, Mr. Yes, Vice she, President, I'm please, speaking. Please. I'm speaking. I'm speaking right now. So uh, then, of course, she went on to this long story about Abraham Lincoln that uh, a lot of folks have said is either not true or very much taken out of context. So Mike Pence followed up after that since, of course, she still didn't answer the question. And, and Senator the, Harris... People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. The American people deserve a straight answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court. And Pence also did a great job pointing out, hey, you know, if you vote for Biden-Harris, your taxes are going up and they're going to go up even more to pay for this ridiculous Green New Deal. And oh, yeah, the great energy boom, done. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to raise taxes. They want to bury our economy under a $2 trillion Green New Deal, which you were one of the original co-sponsors of in the United States Senate. They want to abolish fossil fuels and ban fracking, which would cost hundreds of thousands of American jobs all across the heartland. Jim, crisp, concise, on message all night. Good job, Mike Pence. Yeah, you know, each time Mike Pence gets a chance to have the spotlight in this administration and those rare occasions when the president kind of steps back when it's, you know, his night at the Republican convention or the vice presidential debate. Not only does Mike Pence always do a fine job, I think Mike Pence is actually much more effective than he's given credit for. And part of it is that just the way he he was a radio talk show host before he went to Congress, was in Congress for a bunch of years, was a governor for a bunch of years, and now he's been vice president for a bunch of years. So, you know, Mike Pence speaks in public a lot. He's done TV a lot. He's very experienced at this. And I think what I observed last night, Greg, is that Mike Pence can say just about anything. And he can make it sound reasonable, calm, even-tempered. And the most natural Midwestern common sense thing in the world. I just pictured him saying, like, you know, the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Mama just killed a man, put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger. Now he's dead. Mama, life had just begun. And now I've gone and thrown it all away. You know, there's just <laughs> this like, da, 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 there's just, you know, that no matter what he's saying, people just, you just find yourself nodding along to him. 
Um, he, he had a good night. I, 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 I elaborated in the jolt. I don't really understand why people... People see Kamala Harris, and I feel like it's the Emperor's New Clothes. I don't see what everybody else is seeing. I don't see this masterful performance that so many other folks seem to think that. But, you know, I think Pence, you know, he, he laid it out, and I hope the president was watching, and I hope the president was paying attention, um, about how you you build a case against the opposition, not with, you know, constant interruptions, although there was bickering about whether he was interrupting too much. Notice, by the way, Pence would begin his answer and the you know moderator would say, time's up. And he would keep talking like he'd got a half a sentence, he's got to go. Nobody wants to quibble over five seconds here, 10 seconds there. And then that last clause would just kind of keep going, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> and he would get another 20 seconds, another 30 seconds, you know, but he, he never did it shouting or belligerently. It just was like, well, I've just got to finish this sentence and I make this point, and he gets it in. I think he went there a little too often as the... Uh, as the night wore on, but I don't think it was terribly decisive. Kamala Harris had her share of interruptions. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about it in the next martini. But yeah, you know, he laid out the case against the Biden-Harris ticket based on what they're going to do. And that's really, you know, their, their soft underbelly. That's really their vulnerability. And it was very, very clear. Kamala Harris came to the night to make the case against what Trump had done. And particularly in areas like the pandemic, you know, that's a pretty easy case to make. When there's an outbreak of the virus in, in, you know, inside the walls of the White House, that's an easy case to make. Pence had his toughest moments in those first couple, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so. But as soon as it shifted to the Green New Deal and fracking, which, oh, by the way, she just lied through her teeth <laughs> several times. But it's also like how emphatic and insistent she was that Biden would never eliminate fracking. Uh, never ban fracking when she herself has called for a ban on fracking. And oh, by the way, we all know that Joe Biden is not a guarantee to serve a full four years. So if, God forbid, Joe Biden passes away as president and Kamala Harris becomes president of the United States, will she keep Biden's position on fracking or will, you know, at least the current position on fracking, which is that it's not banned? Or will she revert to her own position on fracking, which is that it should be banned? Never got into that. Uh, both vice presidential candidates kind of dodged a question about um, whether they talked with their running mates about how to handle if someone becomes incapacitated, things like that. Um, but you know, just generally, like, uh, you, it's not just a matter of like, oh, my opponent is this, oh, my opponent is that. Da, 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 da. Pence really focused on look upon what they're going to do, look upon their plans. And obviously, the the court packing was a great example of it. He kept going back to it, and anybody who was paying attention could tell this is a yes or no question. It really should take you about two seconds to answer it one way or the other. And if the answer is, you know, if the answer is not no, then the answer is yes. Maybe is a yes, or at least it maybe recognize the possibility. Like you've decided, now we shouldn't have nine justices like we've had for about 150 years. We should have more of them. And thus we, should, we the, the Biden-Harris administration, or maybe someday the Harris administration, should just guarantee that the court will always rule the way we want by adding another one, two, three, four, five justices. Never mind the fact that Breyer's going to retire. Never mind that we don't know Clarence Thomas is going to serve another four years. We don't know if Samuel Alito, we don't know if any of these justices are going to serve another four years. That's always been good enough for every other administration, but maybe not for Biden-Harris. So um, just a very good night by Mike Pence. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, he should walk out of the, uh, the debate hall with his head held high and maybe wearing a mask. Let's talk a little bit more about Kamala Harris and her performance. Uh, it's interesting, Jim, that uh, most of the folks who tend to lean left 
didn't talk so much about uh, what a sterling performance they thought she had. They tried to, I think, kind of explain away the fact that she didn't get the better of Mike Pence last night. And, of course, the reason she didn't is because it's she's a woman and she has the deck stacked against her. Uh, first up, Jake Tapper on CNN. I wonder if a woman candidate feels like she can't push as much or well, steamroll as much as, say, Mike Pence can for fear of seeming mm -hmm. uh, and offending some segment of the electorate. I'm not saying it should be that way, but I'm wondering if it is that way. And George Stephanopoulos actually used the word mansplaining when throwing the question to his colleague Sarah Fagan. And to Sarah Fagan's credit, she wasn't having any of it. Sarah Fagan, let me bring that to you, because obviously Mike Pence uh, is a former television commentator, does have a very calm demeanor, but I think a lot of people were noticing some mansplaining going on tonight. I don't know. I didn't see it that way, George. It didn't come across to me. I, I do think he should have uh, stopped talking uh, a little quicker, but I don't think he was disrespectful of either woman. So, Jim, uh, when you can't win on the points, uh, you got to try and dodge and, and distract, I guess. First of all, on paper, Kamala Harris is a good debater, or she can turn in a good debate performance. And if anybody doubts that, let's think back to her first debate of the cycle up against Joe Biden, where she, you know, clobbered him on the busing issue and really went after him hard, pretty much called him a racist. The infamous, that little girl was me, which instantly turned into a T-shirt and all the merchandising for the Harris campaign and stuff. She can be an effective attacker, but, you know, you and I observed about how, you know, talked quite a bit about how Tulsi Gabbard, you know, basically gutted her like a fish uh, in a subsequent debate. And I'm not sure Kamala Harris is actually as good as her fan base inside and outside the media thinks she is. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think she's not terrific on her feet. I think she really came to town ready to go after the Trump administration, particularly on uh, the pandemic and and, and, you know, a couple other issues in the economy, but really not prepared to defend Biden and probably not all that well prepared to defend her record on some of these issues. I don't know if she had a terrible night. I I, I think back, first of all, you know, try, I, I try to think back to the Pence-Kane debate four years ago. Listeners, Tim Kaine is a senator from Virginia who is Hillary Clinton's running mate. I know I have to say that every time because people forget. And I remember like people trying to insist that Kaine had done a good job. And I don't think he did. I don't think he does. You know, and I don't know if he necessarily do a terrible job. I, you know, I don't think he broke out in a cold sweat and panicked and, and any of that kind of stuff. You know, again, she didn't have a terrible night. And I think if you went into that night liking her, then you kept liking her. You probably loved her. If you went into that night, not into last night, not liking her, then you saw what I saw, which is the same Kamala Harris that always seemed like, uh, like she was playing a role. And I started thinking like, maybe it's from all those years of doing closing arguments before a jury when she was a prosecutor. It's like she thinks in focus group tested phrases now that even when she's speaking off the cuff, it seems rehearsed, you know, um, I had done my, you know, my Pence thing and Kamala Harris is always like, we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. You know, there's like this, ba -ba -ba -ba, there's like this, this rhythm, this, this thing. And it's always like it's the you know, Sam Watterson at the end of Law and Order episode or something like this is the most momentum thing that has ever been said in the history of the English language. And it's usually very mundane cliches and democratic talking points and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think she had a good night. I, I, I don't think she won. 
I don't know if she had a bad night. Your your ticket's ahead by a large margin. By by some standards, all she has to do is not do damage. And I don't think she did that much damage. Um, I also don't think it was all that different from what we saw during the Democratic primary debates, which I don't think was really that good. And I'd argue that if it was that good, she wouldn't have dropped out before Iowa. So I don't think she's really that great as much as her fan base wants to believe. But I guess they're just so like emotionally invested in this. That their option, the two options are to insist. No, no, she really did have a good night. She won debate. Mike Pence lost by a large margin. It was a, it was a drubbing. Or alternately to say, as I saw a bunch of folks on on Talking Head panels, you know, last night, insisting, well, she's operating under different rules, and it's harder for an African American. It's harder for a uh, woman that you know, um, she just can't get away with expressions of anger the way other candidates have. The idea that she's operating. Like with, with you know bags of bricks on her, and that she's got this this unfair disadvantage, and that's why she didn't perform as well as she did. And I saw quite a few women, mostly on the right side, who was like, "That's a really condescending way to look at women's debating abilities." Yeah, for those of you who think that uh, Mike Pence somehow was disrespectful or was uh, too negative in going after the record, I'll let Kamala Harris from uh, a couple of months ago uh, explain what was going on last night. It was a debate. <laughs> That was when she was uh, explaining why she called Joe Biden a racist, which brings me back to the other point, Jim. Her best moment was attacking Biden, but now she's on the ticket with Biden. So I guess her her one (laughs) easy target is no longer someone she can go after. Do you think that uh, you mentioned her fan base uh, has uh, this, this image of her? I think that includes the media. I feel like she is kind of in that John Edwards mold that because... Uh, the media has fallen in love with this person, that they're elevated to a status they haven't really earned, and yet the media's constant talking about them then makes the nominee consider them when they probably wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. You know, it's, I think back to that cover very early in the cycle where she went shopping with some reporters. And there was this gleeful, you know, girls getting together, trying on clothes uh, postings that were put on Twitter by some of the people who are ostensibly there to cover her. And it just seemed like there was this buddy, buddy, isn't she awesome? It wasn't even like the swooning uh, we usually got with, you know, maybe, maybe you could say this is comparable to Obama in 2007, 2008. But I mean, thankfully, I don't think I've seen anybody argue that Kamala Harris is uh, the messiah, uh, which was a recurring theme way back in 2007, 2008. Look it up, kiddos. Uh, but I think with Harris, there's just this there's just this declaration that as soon as she arrived to Washington from being in it, one, nothing she did in her prosecutorial career was to be held against her. There was very little interest in this during the campaign. And other than when somebody like Tulsi Gabbard brought it up. And then uh, there was just this belief that she was super duper terrific. As I put it in the, the jolt, everything she does is magic, you know, and the rest of us are just there watching a fairly standard issue liberal democratic senator from california making the rounds and we're just not wowed but for some reason that's um that's what a lot of folks in the media either they believe it or they want lots of other people to believe it amazing well we haven't seen the last of uh, kamala harris front and center because the barrett confirmation hearings next week i'm sure she's going to be trying to make the most of that opportunity the question is whether uh she'll actually uh raise her stock or it'll or it'll backfire like it did with the kavanaugh hearings We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. 
I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. All right, let's uh, talk about the fact that there are supposed to be two more presidential debates next Thursday and the Thursday following. However, it would appear that next Thursday's debate is at least in limbo and very well might not happen at all. That's because the Commission on Presidential Debates has announced that due to Trump's COVID diagnosis, it's going to be a virtual debate. The town hall debate will be virtual and the president wants nothing to do with that, as he explained to Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business Network today. The Commission on Presidential Debates announcing this morning uh, that the second presidential debate will be virtual. Are you saying you're not going to participate? No, I'm not going to waste my time on a virtual debate. That's not what debating's all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. And then they cut you off whenever they want. So, Jim, a couple different ways that I think this is crazy. Number one, both campaigns agree to the rules and for the commission to unilaterally change them seems a bit odd, especially if Trump is able to register publicly a number of negative COVID tests. You can still do the plexiglass thing uh, like you did last night. However, if they are going to go forward with this, what Trump needs, if the polls are anywhere close to accurate, is for Joe Biden to fall flat on his face, and there's no better place to do that than at these last two presidential debates. So backing out, not sure that's the right move here. Yeah, you know, first of all, the Commission on Presidential Debates, I, I, when they say by a remote location, I'm curious, do they mean like two different rooms in the facility? Or do they mean like, no, Biden, you stay in Delaware, Trump, you stay in Washington, nobody should come? It's a little bit strange to see the lack of specificity on that. And I kind of feel like if it turns into basically a joint appearance with the two guys not interacting, well, then it's not really a debate. It, it's, it's something different there. Is this necessary because of the president's condition? Well, it's seven days from now. He might be out of the window for being contagious. He might not. We know, obviously, something did not work in the testing regime that was designed to protect the president last week. And by a lot of people's calculations, particularly because we don't know what the last negative test of the president was, it's conceivable he was actually infected and contagious when he was at the presidential debate. Now, he and Biden did not really uh, get close to each other. They didn't elbow bump. There's no indication that he gave it to Biden. But I don't think the Commission on Presidential Debates is being insane for being very concerned and saying, hey, we really have to minimize the candidates' physical interaction with each other and with the moderator and with uh, all of the town hall attendees. Trump saying, I don't like it. I can understand the objection of springing this kind of change on them in light of the circumstances. I, I don't think Trump is actually going to skip the debate. I, I think last the, the audience for the last one was like 73 million. That's a lot, right? And then Trump, I was tweeting about how proud he was that the ratings were so high. I don't think you want to turn that down, particularly if you are, you know, trailing. You know, this is a, a presidency that, uh, you know, is running for re-election and having a challenging time. And, you know, really needs the, uh, the, the you know, the, the to get the message out on as big a platform as they can. I don't know if the audience will be as big as the first week, but it's not going to be, you know, that much smaller. Uh, okay, then again, maybe people will freak out by the, the tone of the first one and all the shouting back and forth and the crosstalk. Maybe there won't be as many people. But again, if you're Trump, you know, let's say instead of being 78 million, it's 60 million, it's 50 million. That's still an audience of 50 million. You're not going to get many opportunities at that. So I just don't understand the logic of, oh, we're not going to do this. I, I think what we're getting here is that Trump has now created another kind of classic suspense moment of, you know, 
Will Trump do the debate? Stay tuned. You know, it sounds like, you know, to, you know tune in to next week's ep- episode of The Apprentice to see what Trump decides. You know, <laughs> um, he has once again taken over a news cycle. It's kind of, I think, the you know, opposition. He's very comfortable. He likes this. And I think the bad news is that I said Prince had a good night and this kind of steps on that. I think this instantly kind of overtakes the news coverage of this. Um, but again, nothing about this presidency has been normal. Nothing about this campaign has been normal. And we'll see how things shake out. I know some folks are worried that if uh, Biden's off in a room by himself, that uh, he might have a prompter or some other aides to get him through the hour and a half. I don't know if that would be the case or not. But, Jim, we've seen enough of his uh appearances and interviews from Delaware to know that even if they did try that, they don't always go according to script. So uh, the chances of uh, getting Biden to trip up on a massive public stage, there's really only two left, and that's the debates. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pence kind of laid out a playbook here, which is turn to your opponent and say, you know, yes or no, are you going to pack the court? Yes or no, do you support the Green New Deal? Yes or no, do you want to end fossil fuel use in the United States? You know, like to just put it, you know, put the direct questions there. And the chances are that Joe Biden will tap dance around the issue and not give a straight answer the way Kamala Harris did. Trust the viewers at home to understand what they're watching, to, to recognize, ah, OK, this is not an answer. This is uh, filibustering. This is filling up the time until the time expires. And at the end of it, a yes or no answer will have not been given you a yes and it will not have given you a no. And that if they don't want to tell me the position, it's because they know I'm probably not going to like the position. I think that's, you know, that could work very well against Joe Biden, but it would require a little bit of self-control. And it would kind of require Trump to allow Biden to talk, recognizing that what Biden was saying was not really helping him. We will see. We say that a lot these days. Uh, One week till the next debate. But uh, Jim, take a breath and we'll uh, be back at it tomorrow. Who knows what the news cycle will have for us then? You know, it'll feel like a year has passed, Greg. (laughs) That much is guaranteed. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you haven't done that already. We always appreciate your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And join us on Friday. Yes, it will be Friday on the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.